All right. Well, hey, always, it's always a pleasure to be here. Always fun to be here. Always good to see John and James and Ed and, and everybody. It's good to see everybody. It's always good to make fun of the, 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 the Washington, what are, your, what are your guys' names again? Com uh, Commando, G.I. Joe, something like that? All right. <laughs> okay, man, listen. That's the, that's the, that's the word this year? <laughs> We're always good to be here. Every time I'm here, I cannot help but remember, and Trey, you probably remember this, but I can't help remember the, the time I wore Trey's jeans. You guys remember that? That was like a couple years ago, but I, it was either Trey's jeans or John's pants. And, you know, so I wore these really, really tight, tight <laughs> jeans. Some of you guys were like, what? What was that? It was, I, I stood behind the pulpit the entire time, so you guys couldn't see how tight the jeans were. So, um, like, oh, again, it's just funny memories, things that always happen. Your pants were, the waist were a little bit too, you know, you know, too, too wide, man. So, um, and every time we come here, you know, unfortunately we're not here with our kids. I'm just here with two of my kids. The three other ones are a little sick at home. And, uh, you know, everybody asks us, are we always having another one? We have five. I think, I think we're good, and I think we're going to stay there. It's, uh, it's a lot of work, right? For those of you guys who have kids, you, you know how it is. And so um, I always joke. People ask us how we do it. I say prayer and Benadryl. That's just how we do it, man. You got to be careful when you say Benadryl, though. They'll, they'll probably, you know, <laughs> report you or something like that. So, but um, it's fun. The, you know, there's a phrase. I'm sure you guys have heard that phrase. The days are long, right? The years are short. The days, the days just feel long. They just feel long. But I'm starting to see as I get older, it's like, what? They, they're growing up. My daughter's getting older. She, I'm like, what? This is, this is crazy. And Jeremiah's, I'm like, this kid is... His feet and size is getting, this is, this is crazy. They, they have body order now. It's, it's just weird. So um, they're, they're growing up. And so we are uh, blessed to have them. And Marilette's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sad. She's sad to not, to not be here. Um, but I will tell you guys all said, said what's up. And so um, um, in terms of ministry, things are, you know, we've made a transition away from youth ministry. And we're now working with a ministry within a crew called Family Life. And so we've been kind of doing that and excited to connect with families who, you know, are far from God and far from the church. And uh, one of the things we're, we're kind of focusing on, I'll give you guys just a, sh a quick update with a video in a second. But we're focusing on a, a big prayer initiative in the city, really mobilizing the church and other organizations to really pray for the marriages and families. And so and instead of me explaining it, let me, I have a video that Ed's going to show that kind of talks a little bit about that. And it actually coincides a little bit with our message as well, so that, that, that's kind of a cool thing. So go ahead and check out this video, and I'll be right back up. Part of the backstory to Vision 59 is just this idea, okay, man, the city's so huge. You have 8 million-plus people, right? You think about all the neighborhoods, there are about 200 plus neighborhoods that make up the five boroughs, but then the city itself is broken down into 59 community districts. What would it look like to have a core group of people who say, hey, I want to take that community district in the Bronx, I want to take that community district in Manhattan or Brooklyn, Staten Island, Queens, and I want to faithfully pray for the families and for the marriages in that particular community district. We tend to strategize first. We tend to prioritize planning first, and then prayer is kind of like an afterthought. 
But what if we flipped that? What if we said, no, prayer is actually the most important thing that we can do. Prayer is actually the ministry. And when we go outside and when we go out in our communities, when we have those outreaches and those events, we're just picking up the fruit of prayer. When I was eight years old, I was taken away, placed in foster care. And I eventually got placed with the home. They actually put me in Long Island. And I remember this was the first home that I was in where the family went to church. And I just remember them praying. And I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what they said, but I'm pretty sure that they were praying for me. They were praying for kids like me, for, for families like me. And you know what happened? They have no idea the fruit of their prayer. I pray in these marriages and in these relationships, Father. That's the heart behind this prayer movement. We want to see results. We want to see the fruit, but you may not see the fruit. But you know, there's going to be a kid down the road who's now an adult who's leading a ministry in the city. There's going to be a young woman now who has a heart for her community, all because of prayers of the saints. That's really the heart of it. When I think about Vision 59, and what would it look like just to pray for the families and marriages and let God do what God's going to do? And so that's uh, just a quick, you know, thing that we're, you know, starting Maryland and I are doing it with other churches as well in the city. Again, just laying a foundation of prayer throughout the city for the marriages and families, man. And we, you know, I think prayer is key. Prayer is key. And so um, we're going to transition to our, our, our passage this, this morning, Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, and of course, we, we welcome your guys' prayers for our kiddos and the ministry and, and just life in New York. Life in New York is different these days. It feels very, very different um, post-COVID. Or can I even say that? I don't know. Well, just, it feels different. <laughs> and so we definitely welcome your prayers. Nehemiah chapter 1. Again, if you can summarize our, our talk this morning, it's really one word is prayer. You know, I'm going to make a bunch of different commentary or I'll, I'll add some stuff to, uh, to what I'm reading but it's, it's just prayer. It's about prayer. And so, Ed, I'm assuming we have that, the slides or no? I don't, I'm not getting the sound. But let, let's go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. And let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into... Um, actually, let's go ahead and read, and then we'll jump into... Then, we'll, then I'll pray. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting at verse 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkali, now it happened in the month of Chislav, which is, I guess, November to December, right? In the 20th year... As I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse 4 and as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandment, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I, my father's house, have sinned. 
we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that your that remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the privilege that we have to open up your word. Father God, even this morning in the Lord's Supper, uh, just the, 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 the free sharing of your scripture, uh, the way you weave certain thoughts together, um, just that even that theme to wait on the Lord, that you will renew our strength, God. Just, just Your word speaks to us. It's powerful, Lord. And God, I pray that you would, uh, you would speak, you would challenge, you would convict, you would encourage, you would edify, you would do what you need to do this morning. Father God, we're all here uh, because we, there's community here, God, but we're also here because we, we want to be more like you. Um, there's a desire to, to know you deeper. There's a desire to, to look more like your son. God, I want to pray that you would, you would bless the thoughts that I have this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. And so as we uh, look at Nehemiah, I, 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 you guys go to what time? Whenever I'm done, okay, I can't even tell the time, sorry. Um, as we look at the book of Nehemiah, I always just want to start like, what do we know about the book of Nehemiah? Now, you guys know that I tend to be a little bit interactive, so I may throw out questions to the audience. Um, and just, if, if you do respond, please don't give a sermon, just like a quick, quick response, all right? So the question that I have for us is like, what do we know about the book of Nehemiah? Just kind of background, history, just quick overview before I jump into some specifics. What do we know? It's, it's about building a wall, right? That's, it's about the completion, the rebuilding of the wall. Anything else? Persevering yeah, there's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of obstacles that, are, that emerge. There's opposition. And they have to continue to persevere through that, right? One, one of them had one hand on the sword and one hand working, right? So there's this, this sense of, perse of perseverance through persecution. The book is set during the, what period in, 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 I guess you could say, the Old Testament? What era, if you can kind of, it's the exilic, right? It's, it's during the exile, right? The kingdom is no longer together. It was divided into two kingdoms, and then northern kingdom gets taken away, southern kingdom gets taken away. They're in a period of exile. There's no homeland, so to speak, right? They are under the, uh, the Persian rule right now, the people. So that's kind of the, the background to this. This book, and Ed, did you get the slide working or no? All right, and so there's a couple, I'm going to have some slides for you guys. The first slide, Ed, uh, Ed it's, it says Ezra returns. There you go. Ezra returns in 458 B.C. to help rebuild a broken people, whereas Nehemiah returns in 444, and it's about rebuilding sort of the broken city, rebuilding the wall. All right, again, you guys go to Branford, you know this, right? Well, you should know this, right? 
You know this context. You guys could, could get up here and tell me, tell me myself. And a big theme that we see in the book of Nehemiah, at next slide, says the people of God, next slide, the people of God as a whole, not just great leaders, are vital for accomplishing the objective of rebuilding the wall. Right? It's not just Nehemiah himself. It's about the people coming together right, and accomplishing this objective. So again, big picture, quick survey of the book of Nehemiah. Right? But this rebuilding, this process of rebuilding the wall starts where? It starts in chapter 1. It starts with a prayer. And in fact, it actually starts with a question. Right? I always like to say the book of Nehemiah probably wouldn't have been written, this is just my opinion, if Nehemiah wasn't inquisitive, if he wasn't curious, if he wasn't asking questions. So if you go back to chapter 1, verse 2, what does it say? It says that, I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Nehemiah's question is wrapped around his concern for the people. He's asking about the Jews, how they're doing. And he's asking about the place, right? His concern for the people and the place. How, what's going on in Jerusalem? What's going on there? And how, what's the response? What do we see? If you have your Bibles out, this is a question for the crowd, for you guys. What's the response? How do they respond? The, the, the walls is jacked up, right? It's, it's messed up. The walls are broken, right? There's great trouble, there's great shame, there's fire. I mean, this is not a, a pretty response to the situation, right? And we, again, we, for those of us that we've read Nehemiah, we, are familiar, we, we, we know this. This is a pretty bleak, you know, response or update. Lamentations 1.1, that's going to be on the slide, the next slide. This is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. When he's talking about the destruction of, of the city, here's what he says in, in Lamentations 1.1. Next slide. Ed. It says, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. So picture that. A city full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. All right? You see the contrast here. He goes further on in Lamentations 5.15. He says, the joys of our, of our hearts have ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. So that's back in, right after the destruction, Jeremiah is describing the scene. And these events that are recorded in Nehemiah, it's happening 150 years later. So it's much further down the road, but there's still this reality that, hey, the people, the place, the temple, it, yeah, the temple has been rebuilt, but there's still great trouble. There's still great shame. The walls are broken down. The gates are destroyed by what? Fire. Again, picture the situation. Picture the scene. Some of us have seen what's going on in Ukraine, right? I have a good friend who grew up in Kiev. He, he grew up there, right? He, he shared pictures. Of, Listen, I used to walk down this block, and now look at, look at this block. It's totally obliterated. The, the building that my grandmother used to live in, it's destroyed. So that, that, that's just to give you a picture, a modern-day example of some of the destruction, Right? And what's Nehemiah's response to this report? He asked the question, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? What's going on with my people? He gets the response, which is not a great response, a great, not a great report, but then Nehemiah responds how? 
What does Nehemiah do? Let's read verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, it says, I sat down and I wept. And I think that's going to be, a, that's all, that should be on the slide, the next slide as well, uh, Ed. I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I sat down and I wept. And I just mourned for a few hours, right? Notice what the scripture says. He mourned for days, right? There was this sense of lament that was happening in terms of the report that Nehemiah got, right? There's a deep love that he has for his homeland and so much that he's moved to tears. He's moved to weeping. He's moved to mourning. Again, it's not just for a moment. The scripture says it's for days. It's the same word when, when Jacob receives the news that Joseph has been, you know, it's a lie, right? But that Joseph was, had died, right? It's the report that the brothers give to Jacob. The scripture says in Genesis 37, 34, that when Jacob receives the news, it says that he tore his garment. He put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son. Guys, this is, this is picture the situation. I remember uh, back in 20, 2020, um, again, everybody's lives changed in 2020, right? I haven't been back here since 2019, actually. That's, that's crazy. But in 2020, September of uh, 11, 2020, Marilette's father passed away, right? And uh, we had dealt with some stuff that summer in terms of mental health, and then we got dealt with that. And so it was just, man, one thing after another, after another. And I remember, you know, I, listen, I was close to the, his, her, her, her father, cool guy. Um, and I just remember, I, like, I just couldn't stop mourning. I couldn't stop crying. Even coming up here, like, he came into my mind this morning. I'm like, I miss him. I miss him. And there were moments when I was crying, and I, and I just began to ask myself, like, even as I'm processing, what, what, were my, what were my tears saying? Like, what was I really mourning about? I wonder what was Nehemiah really mourning about? And for me, when I think about Marilyn, uh, my father-in-law who passed away, I think about the fact that, man, at that time, I didn't know my dad. So he was the only grandfather that my kids had in their life. And I could not escape the fact, I could not get this out of my mind, that, man, my kids would not grow up without a grandfather. And that, that hurt me. And it hit me. And just when I thought about it, it made me, it made me cry that my kids wouldn't have an opportunity to grow up with, with a grandfather. Right? What, were, what was Nehemiah's tears saying? What was his tears revealing, revealing? Nehemiah had a deep compassion and a love for his homeland. Right? You're not going to cry if you're not moved by something there. He had a deep love for his homeland. It reminds me of Jesus in the New Testament when he looks over the crowd. And he was, the scripture says he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without what? A shepherd, right? Or even the time when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. So Nehemiah sat down, he, he wept for days. But if you continue reading in that verse, what does it say? It says that he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, right? Fasting. When you fast, what are you saying? Like if you, I remember back in college, for those that, you know, remember the college days, and if you would, you would break nights, right? You wouldn't eat. Maybe you would eat McDonald's or you would eat, burger, you would eat something quick, right? Probably something you shouldn't be eating, right? But you would fast all night because what? What was more important? You studying for that exam, right? You getting a, a good grade so that your parents wouldn't get mad at you. I'm paying all this money and look at you. You're getting, you're getting F's and, and what? Come on. I'm kicking you out of college, right? But. You would fast, right? There was a sense of urgency 
associated to that situation. <coughs> and I think that's the case here with Nehemiah, right? There was something urgent, something, God was doing something in his heart that had led him to mourn and to weep and to fast for days, right? There was a sense of, of, of urgency there. And one of the things I love about, you go to the next slide, that we see with Nehemiah's response and it's something, I read, I read this quote by this doctor, Brenda McNeil. She says in one of her books, Becoming Brave, the first strategy of the church in a deeply broken world is not, um, is not strategy, but prayer, right? The first strategy of the church in a deeply broken world is not strategy. What she means by that is we shouldn't be focused on just planning and bringing a strategy together, but our response should be prayer. When we look at the broken world around us, right? My brother was just talking about a brother, that, a guy he met who... Whatever his, I don't want to go into details, but I think about that story, living in this car, coming, like, it's crazy. It's a broken world, right? We, 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 we see this all around us, but our strategy, our, our first response should be prayer. John Wesley said that God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Agree or disagree? That's a powerful statement. Those old church fathers or whatever, whatever you want to call them, man. They would say some stuff that we couldn't say from the pulpit today, right? Because you'll be canceled for saying stuff like that, right? <laughs> but God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And if that above quote is true, I ask myself the question, like, why isn't my first response to pray? Because my first response is, is to jump into trying to plan or to jump into trying to, to create things or to save things, or, right? I, I, you know, I, I want to jump in and do as opposed to going before the Lord. Well, here's a couple reasons why. This is just my opinion. Our culture emphasizes what? What does our culture emphasize? Right? It emphasizes getting things done. And sometimes prayer doesn't fall into that category of getting things done. It feels like you're, you're wasting time. Right? Sometimes you want immediate results. I'm just, again, I'm speaking for myself here. Maybe James feels the same way. Right? You want immediate results. <laughs> right? We can place the emphasis on that. And so when we pray, sometimes it's just like, Lord, what are you doing? I love what Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans out of Texas said. He said, uh, God answers prayers three ways, yes, no, or slow, right? Yes, no, or slow. And sometimes we don't like the slow part. We want, we want the yes right away, right? We don't really like no, and we definitely don't like slow, <laughs> right? And so there's, there's something in terms of immediate results that are, sometimes our first, you know, response isn't to pray, but to jump into action. And maybe for you, some of you guys in this room, John, I know John's a prayer warrior, so is Amy. Maybe their first response is to pray, right? Keep that up. If you're doing that, keep it up, all right? Keep it up. Um, let's continue. I want to make a couple comments on just the prayer itself. And so let's go ahead and read back through Nehemiah's prayer, starting at verse 5. Starting at verse 5. He says, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandment. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. I, I love the language there, right? He's kind of given human language, biblical anthropomorph anthropomorphism. I always mess that word up, right? I'm trying to be all smart and here I am, I, you know, whatever. Um, I just saw it online, so I just put it on my list. All right. <laughs> He's given human language, right? Human qualities. Like, let your ear be attentive. Let your eye, right? Like, there's this, this sense of, man, like, God is, 
He is so far above, but he's also so close. And we see that in Nehemiah's prayer, right? He sees that, he, he's, we see that in his prayer. We continue reading. It says, uh, to, to verse 6, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the, pe- for the people of Israel, your servant, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we, stop there, which we, notice that. He includes himself in this. It's not just, hey, they messed up, they sinned. No, we, right? He recognizes that he's part of a larger community. It's not just the individual, right? And I love that in Nehemiah's prayer. There's an there's a, a, a honesty and confession. He's confessing both his sins and the sins of the people. Keep reading. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. I mean, that's the reason why they're in exile, right? Because of their disobedience. It's like if your mom or your dad says, hey, if you do this, these are the consequences for this, right? God said, hey, listen, if you don't follow me, if you don't obey me, if you don't heed to my word, if you don't, there's going to be consequences. And one of them was exile. There will be other countries who will come and take you captive because of your disobedience. So that's why they're in this mess from the first place. So Nehemiah is kind of, he's alluding to that or he's hinting at that. Actually, he's being direct about that, right? Verse 8, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. He said that back to Moses hundreds of years ago. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell. So there's the flip side. right? There's rest, there can be restoration if we return to the Lord. And so he's acknowledging, acknowledging that in his prayer. Verse 10 says, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Again, he's, he's, a, he's speaking to the, the power that God has, that he's omnipotent. He's acknowledging the, sort of the attributes of God all throughout this prayer. Oh, Lord, let your ear, again, biblical, anthro, you guys know what I'm saying. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And then look at, I love the last phrase. This is where he kind of gets it personal, right? Where he's kind of petitioning God for what he wants, supplication. He's asking God for what he wants. And he says, and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Which man? Who's he referring to? Not, not himself. He's referring to the Persian, the, the Persian emperor, Right? Cyrus. Is it Cyrus? No, Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. And catch this. I'll say this. This wasn't on my notes. You know how long it took? We're not going to look at chapter 2, but you know how long it took for Nehemiah's prayer to get answered? 150 days, roughly. Right? 150 days. Now, I'm not good at math, so I'm not even going to try to break down the month, the months on that. But that's, that's some time. Right? That's some time. But one thing I want to end, end with and talk about as I wrap up is I just love how Nehemiah intercedes for for the people, for his people, right? One famous uh, author around prayer, he said, man, to pray constantly only for ourselves is a mark of failure in prayer, right? To pray only for, again, he was probably an old old church father who said that, right? Because to say that from the pulpit, (laughs) but it's true. If I'm only praying for myself, that's, that's incomplete, right? So we see Nehemiah standing in the gap, and one of the things we see with this prayer 
he's expressing his sense of powerlessness. Can you guys say powerlessness? Oh, that was weak. Come on, Branford. There, there you go. That's what I'm talking about, my brother. All right. There's a, another quote that I, I have two quotes. One's going to come up on the screen right now, but I'll come to that in a second. I think this was Andrew Murray who said this. Blessed is the man who has made the declaration, I have nothing, the motto of his ministry. I have nothing, the motto of his ministry. Right? And I think, Nehemiah, you see that sense of like dependence on the Lord as he's interceding for his people. That quote on the screen says, Intercession is the blessed link between our powerlessness and God's what? Omnipotence. I love that. Interceding. Stand in the gap for somebody. It's the link between our inability, our powerlessness, and God's what? Omnipotence, God's power. And that's what we see here in this prayer. He's interceding. He's, he's, he's acknowledging, man, we need you, God. And so a question I'll, I'll throw out to you guys is, man, will you be a woman or a man who cries out like Nehemiah? And Nehemiah is not the only example in the scripture, Right? There's plenty of, of examples of, 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 of people that intercede and prayed. Will we be the ones who cry to God? Will we be a church who recognizes our powerlessness and walk with our dependence on the Lord? Like, that's what it's about. It's about being dependent on Him, right? It's about abiding in Him. It's about acknowledging that we need you, God. We need you in our planning for the church as we think about the next five years for this church. We need you as we think about this particular family or this particular situation. We need your wisdom, right? For you that are, are young parents, God, I need you right now because this kid is wilding out. Like he's acting a fool. I need your help, right? That, I mean, it's, it's those moment by moments where we need to cry out to God, God I, I need you. We need you. And so as we close our, our, our talk, my, my message this morning, there's a question that I'm just going to give you guys just a few, few seconds to reflect on, all right? And here's a question. Hey, can you throw that, that last slide on the screen? What might be one thing God is putting on your heart this morning as a result of this message? Essentially, what are you sensing is, is a personal takeaway or even a next step? So just, just take a, I'm going to ask you to take 30 seconds, okay? Don't look at me because it'll be weird, right? Look down or something and just, just reflect on that question, right? Maybe you want to, if you have your, your, your a pen and a paper, write that down. Take out your phone. And if there's nothing, there's nothing. If there's something, there's something. If you need more time to process Great, but just take 30 seconds, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap us up in prayer. Let us pray. God, thank you um, for this morning. Thank you for your word. Again, just thank you for, man, just Nehemiah, this story, this book. God, thank you that uh, he, in many ways, is a, is a model here for prayer. God, I thank you for his prayer. I thank you for him interceding on behalf of the people, God. And I thank you, Lord, that in your time you answered that request. In your time you gave direction where direction was needed. You gave wisdom. And God, there, there are some of us in this 
this, this room or just in this church tonight, Lord, uh, this afternoon where, God, we, we probably do need direction for a particular issue in our life. God, we need your, your, um, your help, your wisdom. So, God, we want to even acknowledge that and bring that before you. Lord, there's some of us in this room, Lord, we, we just, maybe we, we're just cold right now or we're, we're, we're like lukewarm in our, in our faith. And, God, our desire is to, to draw near to you. So, Lord, would you allow those people to make the changes or allow those people to have the necessary support to just to continue to draw close to you, Lord? God, there's some people in this room who, man, they don't, they don't have a relationship with you. And they're, they're, they're maybe they have questions or they have doubts about what does it look like to, to follow Jesus. And so, Lord, I want to pray for that individual, for that person who hasn't made a decision, uh, who hasn't acknowledged you as Lord of their lives, who, haven't, who hasn't confessed and, and said, hey, I'm a sinner, <laughs> and have received your forgiveness. God, I pray that you would, uh, you would seek them, you would continue to pursue them. God, Father, that you would give them no rest until they make the decision to place their faith in you to acknowledge that they need you. And Lord, I pray for this church and for the many other churches that are seeking to do your will. Lord, would we be uh, uh, churches and people that pray, that cry out, that agonize, that seek your face, and that believe you to do what only you can do. So God, be with us for the rest of this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.